Welcome, church family. It's good to see you. And uh, my name is Pastor Charlie. I'm one, blessed to be one of the pastors on staff here. And if we haven't met, hopefully we'll get to connect very soon. Uh, but it's my privilege to uh, stand in this place today and to uh, conclude our series through the book of First Thessalonians. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, would you turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5? And we'll be starting in verse 16 in just a moment. Uh, last week you heard an announcement, uh, Pastor Ryan, talking about uh, December 12th. We're going to be having a church family business meeting at 10 o'clock on December 12th. Uh, and we're excited this year to present uh, next year's church budget and also to uh, get your approval for putting some people into leadership uh, positions. And so we'll be doing that in between services, 10 o'clock sharp though. So make sure you're here. If you come to this service, make sure just to note, hey, need to be in the worship center at 10 o'clock for that. You can get a copy of next year's budget to be looking over, praying over. They are located at the giving counters in our lobbies. And as you look over those, should you have questions, uh, the vote that will happen on December 12th will be without discussion. But there's opportunity for you to come, ask questions, uh, discuss whatever you're thinking or going on with that. On Monday, December the 6th, from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock in the conference center of the Learning Center. All right, so a lot of words right there. But Monday, December 6th, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the uh, conference center of the Learning Center. And there will be a team there that will be glad to connect with you. Uh, today, again, just excited for the opportunity to preach. But uh, as we close out this book of 1 Thessalonians, and really this letter that we've been talking and looking at, how Paul addressed this church in a place that was living in a culture that, man, it, Christianity was not the vibe. It wasn't the norm in that culture. And yet Paul is writing and encouraging the believers that they would be a people that would literally turn the world upside down. That they, their lives, the way they lived, the way they presented themselves would be such that they would be a community that they, others could not help but notice. There was something different, that Jesus was alive in them. So today we're going to look at verses 16 through 28. And if you have your Bible, I encourage you to take a look at that as we read and get started with our time this morning. Word of the Lord says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we come to this holy time of breaking open your word. And Father, we quickly confess that we lack uh, a complete understanding that's needed. That's needed for what you're saying to us. Father, I thank you for your word, but I would ask now, God, that your spirit would give us uh, just ears to hear what you would teach us, how you would speak to us. 
Father, I pray that you would speak clearly through this message and the messenger. Father, put away distractions that may be clouding our minds or thoughts of things to come. And yet, Father, may we have just the ability to set apart this time together to be in your presence. So, Lord, take this time. Use it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this week we get to continue what uh, kind of a pickup of last week as we talked about what the community of believers is to look like. And last week, as Pastor Ryan talked, the message was, we is greater than me. We is greater than me. And the tendency would be to take today's message and, and to listen, and it'll be, honestly, it'll be pretty easy. There's some easy application here. But the tendency is going to be, okay, let's talk all about me. Okay, I can do this. I can't do this. Where do I need help? And there's a personal aspect we want to, we will be speaking to a good bit. But what I want you to just in the forefront of this, turn your ears to and listen to is a we aspect. How is the body of Christ, how are we as the community of believers to live, to act, to display the gospel of Christ for the world that is watching? Because Paul writes these letters of Thessalonians, Corinthians, uh, others. He's writing to individual churches. So he's writing them to a body of people. And so today, may we have ears that would hear what's the corporate application? How do we live this out? But it begins with how we do that on internally as beginning as well. And as we've gone through Thessalonians, you know, we've had times where the instruction's kind of been very specific and and been able to spend a week or hone in on some truths. And today, if you were looking while we were reading the scripture, there's like each verse has a different set of instructions. And honestly, each one of those or several of those you could combine into several sermons. And for me, it's like today is kind of one of those days where um, it's like packing for a large trip. And my family and I back this summer, we took two weeks and we're preparing to go camping, uh, a camping trip up in the northeast. And, that, and if you knew our family, we haven't camped a lot. Uh, we enjoy it. We're outdoors folks. But this was tent camping. And so there's seven, by the way, in our family. Uh, this is just a picture of our children and the wall of stuff behind them. What you don't see, by the way, is uh, the large thing mounted to the top of the roof and also the tailgate rack. And so our, our suburban type vehicle is actually leaning, you know, shrunk down, looks like family vacation happening kind of thing. It's really cool. But the whole aspect of this is this kind of trip takes planning, all right? It takes weeks of planning. And my precious wife just spent days of putting lists together, getting all the individual details. And then the, the time comes where it's all right, it's go time. We load up in the car, and then you get hit with that checklist that isn't written down. But it's that last-minute checklist that somebody starts, and then everybody starts asking. All right, did everybody bring something to sleep on? No, I forgot mine. Okay, did uh, anybody bring a pillow? Yes. You know, everybody got your water bottle? Oh, I left mine upstairs. All right, did anybody need to use the restroom? You know, this whole list of don't forget, don't forget, but what ends up happening is it leads to the whole car unloads again because it, somebody forgot something, right? And it affects all of us. We all end up getting stalled and having to wait. And that's a bit of how today's going to go is, man, we're going to hit these different points and speak to them. But at the same time, it's like Paul concluding this letter to the Thessalonians with this checklist of 
hey, as you're going right here, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, be thankful. But these aren't just like, oh, and don't forget. These are like meaty statements that we want to take time this morning and to take a look at. So as we're looking uh, through this, uh, this morning, what, again, I want your, the bend of your ears to be not just how does this affect me. There's lots of personal application here. But listen for how this is about us as a body of believers. So point one today, how our relationship to God should look. How our relationship should, to God should look to the world around us. We've made this statement many times, or I'm, I'm making a little assumption here. But some have made this statement that says, I believe a church should be, and you fill in the blank with what you believe the meaning or the purpose of a church should be. Hopefully it's backed with your core convictions or most importantly with what you believe scripture calls a church to be. But Paul uses, defines the foundational characteristic of God's people right here in verses 16 through 18, these three spiritual expressions. And the first one he says is rejoice always. Rejoice always. It's, it's a simple command, and yet one that, if you take a second, seems difficult to achieve. The pursuit of joy is this goal of every human, saved or not. Ultimately, what, are, what is humans, our human desire is to be happy and fulfilled, to find joy that would satisfy us. So much so that you trace back, if you're adult, look back into your childhood. And you start going through high school and people start asking that wonderful question as you approach your graduation. So what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And, you know, as you're a junior and senior in high school, let me empathize for them in the room for a minute. They're still figuring it out, some of them, and going, hi, Lord, please give me a good answer today for this, right? And and on that, what are they doing, though? They're they're thinking through and trying to process, what is it I want to spend my life doing? What's going to give me joy? What's going to give me fulfillment? What's going to make me happy? And as we go through that, though, what we find, though, is we have made sacrifices. People, we make sacrifices of time, finances, even down to relationships of what we believe we are going to receive the most fulfillment, the most joy and happiness out of. And yet, here comes Paul right here with his letter, and he says, rejoice always. In other words, in all circumstances. And so the greater question then becomes, is this even possible? Because, you know, the successes of a moment, we, we trigger our minds to think joy, happiness is those moments of just mountaintop experiences. But as we all know, we're not made to live on top of the mountain. And so what does it look like to have joy when the ride of life is up and down? The Thessalonian believers were recognized as a joyful people, but in the face of suffering. Chapter 1, verse 6 says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. One scholar explained biblical joy as this. He says, when the mind keeps itself in calmness under adversity and does not give indulgence to grief. Paul's exhortation to rejoice always is a key evidence of a believer. Because it reveals that their hope, purpose, and fulfillment is not found in this world. Joy. Hear that that carefully. Believer, if you're a non-believer, hear this carefully. It should be the evidence of a believer that there is a joy in spite of circumstances that exudes itself. Why? Because the joy is not found 
in this world is found in something else. If I'm an unbeliever sitting in this room today, I would say this is a key point. If you're questioning Christianity or you're, you're kind of questioning God and so forth, this would be a key point where I would begin to ask a, a, a good question here. Is, is how is this joy in unfulfilling circumstances possible? Because to me, if, as, if I were in a doubting position, that would be a great place for the supernatural power of God to show himself. To give joy when circumstances are otherwise, when there's been a loss in the family, when there's not enough money to pay the bills, stress is high, family drama, friend drama, work drama are through the roof, and yet there's a contentment that says God will provide. And I trust, and I've got joy because there's something greater going on. That would be something that I would just circle and go, I need to understand what gives joy that surpasses the situation. And as believers, we, we un- hopefully understand that this is the evidence, what I would say is one of the evidences of salvation is this joy that should be expressed that comes through and recognizes that, you know what, though the situations, though it all may not be this quote-unquote feel-good joy, there is an understanding that there is something much greater at work than just the physical circumstances around. And it is the living hope in Christ that this world cannot offer. Make no mistake, the Bible never teaches for believers to deny that adversity brings sadness and grief. But it does teach to recognize that in the midst of the greatest struggles, the nearness and presence of God can infuse the soul with hope and the heart with joy. You see, no matter our situations, church, we have more to rejoice about because our hope is in Christ. Listen to this long quote. It's going to be on the screen for you, but worth worth just pondering as we read through here. From Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China. He said, it is the consciousness of the threefold joy of the Lord. His joy in ransoming us, his joy in dwelling within us as our Savior and power for fruit bearing, and his joy in possessing us as his bride and his delight. It is the consciousness of this joy which is our real strength. Our joy in him may be a fluctuating thing. Oh, but look here. His joy in us knows no change. We need to remind each other often to rejoice, keep our focus toward the greater reward, reward that awaits. Oh, that God would just pause right here, in the, at, even at the beginning of this message, and would just help you fix your mind just for a second and say, oh, my soul, that you would look beyond the things of this world and you would see the hope that is to be completed in Christ Jesus. That our hearts would be tendered in this time of chaos, stress, that we would have the spirit of joy that says, the Lord is what gives me that strength. But knowing that this joy is out of our own ability to fully live out, Paul writes verse 17 here, kind of like the next little toss into the, the list here. And he says, pray without ceasing. As if the joy isn't hard enough, now we're, now we're on to pray without ceasing. And see, what's the purpose of prayer? Real quick, purpose of prayer is to bring ourselves to submission before the Lord, giving Him our praise, thanks, cares, and needs. You see, prayer accomplishes in Christ everything that we are unable to do on our own. Philippians 4, uh, I encourage you to write the, this reference down, check it out later. F- Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6, 
has very similar writings to this of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi, and he says, hey, rejoice always. But then he says, as he goes into that, knowing that, I believe knowing, that rejoice would be tough, and anxiety and affliction could be very present, he says, but don't be anxious for anything, but do all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. Are you struggling today to rejoice? Take your anxieties before the Lord. Struggling to be patient? Take your impatience to God. Searching for answers to big decisions? Take them continually to the Lord. We make the mistake of assuming that if God doesn't answer after a few times we pray or one time and, and like, hey, I tried God. Lord, look, I, I prayed. He didn't answer. Like, this is what I asked for. All I heard was there was nobody on the other end. It was silence. But I want to contend just for a moment. We may, may be missing the greatest piece that is part of prayer, and that is this. We look at prayer, I, I say we just corporately, but we're guilty sometimes of looking at prayer from a consumer mindset. Of saying, I'm praying because I need it. And that's good. The Lord calls us to go to him with our needs. Take them all. But I think the Lord knows something. In fact, I know he knows something that we are lacking. And that is he knows our greater need. And that is this, that our greatest need is not whether or not he answers that request the way we're praying. Our greatest need is that our lives and character would become more like his. And that's a hard one to grasp. Because that means taking what is present and putting it to the side that Jesus would be king and saying, Lord, I'm praying for this. The unceasing prayer, what, what happens in praying continually is it sets the heart and the mind to be continually submissive. And as one prays, what you'll find as you pray is that continually, the Lord may not answer in the timing or the way that you're saying, but it is in that that he's working his plan, his heart to fruition, that it might be the molding and breaking of you that would come into submission and in line to be more like him. Perfect, holy, righteous, blameless. That's the work of prayer. Yet it's, it's our conviction we get stuck going, God, I'm praying, why aren't you answering? But could it be, I'd make the argument, he's actually at work more in those moments than in the moments you're not going, I don't see it. May it be the attitude of our hearts of unceasing prayer. What does unceasing prayer look like? It means there's a continual time of prayer that's taking place, a dedicated time in the day. There are moments in the day when life hits. Maybe it's driving down the highway. Maybe there's a coworker that has stuff going on and you stop, whether you pray with them or you're praying in your mind. The Lord hears and discerns those thoughts. It means coming together as the corporate body. It doesn't mean, you know, drawing up and just sitting in a holy huddle all day and just praying the whole time. Though I, that'd probably be a good idea. But it means as you're living your life to be in an attitude and a heart that says, I'm praying and seeing God work. That's where the joy comes from is because it's the submission. As the heart submits, so the joy rises. Why? Because it's finding its hope and its contentment, its purpose in the Lord less in the things around us. Paul encouraged the believers to pray without ceasing. And we must help each other as a body. This is, this is where, because we're going to be distracted, I'm going to be distracted in this, in the things of this world. And as a body, it is 
us that come together and we remind each other to pray. When we text each other or someone that you know from your small group that you know just shared in groups that they are struggling. And that week, somewhere along the week, you were led to pray for them and you text them and just say, hey, just want you to know I'm praying for you today. And if you've ever been a recipient of such a thing, you know that is a blessing beyond blessing. To feel the love and support of someone that says, hey, I want you to know I'm lifting your needs right now up to the Lord. Shameless plug, though, but this is a a great motivation if you're not plugged into a small group to get in there. If you go, man, I, I, I struggle to pray or, man, I got stuff going on right here. Can I just encourage you to get involved in a community of believers that would be praying for you and with you? third thing we get from uh, 16 through 18 here is he says give thanks always for this is the will of God in all things by the way just to take note you ever wonder what the will of God is look at verses 16 17 18 those will give you a very general set of what's God's will rejoice always pray without ceasing and give thanks thankfulness can be a tough stretch for our sinful nature can it because what happens we're we're prone to the life of being one that would, you know, kind of lean in. How many of you feel like, well, don't raise your hand, forewarning, but you feel like you've been given the spiritual gift of criticism, right? It just, it doesn't exist, by the way. But, you know, thankfulness just isn't something that naturally flows sometimes. It's something we have to work at. And hopefully you were able to enjoy a great Thanksgiving this past week and took time to reflect and give thanks for the many ways God's blessed you. But, you know, somewhat humorous, but also, I didn't mean this serious. If you think about how God has blessed us and the little things we get to give thanks for. I mean, from climate-controlled rooms, comfortable chairs. You know, I give thanks, and I'm not kidding when I say this. I thank the Lord for taste buds. This week, thank you, Lord. I like food. It is good. I'm also thankful for stretchy pants because... It was a good week, right? Thank the Lord. But you you think even those simple things that are comfort for us as a culture, how could we cease to be thankful? And yet, I find the burden of my heart is sometimes I'm, I'm more worried about being critical of how something should be better than to be thankful of what God has already done. And Paul says, be thankful always. Again, struggle with this. Can I encourage a small group? shameless plugs all the way through here but be in a biblical community and if you are many of you man you you know the joy that this offers of just being in a community that just reminds you of the goodness of God and the goodness of being with his people now you may hear these commands rejoice pray and be thankful and go yeah I hear you there's some tough things let me let me just give you some application to think through here of what this can look like to rejoice can look like when you've recently lost a family member is to testify that God is good and that you ultimately trust his will for your life. The grief is real, but the joy of the hope that is to come in Christ and restore all things is even greater. To pray unceasing parents is to continually ask the Lord to soften the hard heart of your child that you've been praying would come to Christ. For students, it means to pray unceasing is to pray for that lost friend that you are just praying would just the next time you bring up Jesus would would just soften and just engage the conversation for a moment. 
to keep praying for that, being thankful in all things, is to thank the Lord that he has provided for you when the finances are low and the bills are high. To thank the Lord when the work stress is affecting you emotionally and physically. But you're thankful because God is maturing you now for what he has for you to come. That's how it lives out. And our relationship with God, this is how it should look. And what our goal should be is that as a community, we should be a place of, of people that exude and work towards knowing that we rejoice in the Lord. We pray unceasing for ourselves and each other and that we give thanks. Tuesdays, our pastors get together and discuss and we pray through the text for whoever will be speaking on Sundays. And one of our pastors noted this week that our culture would write these three verses the exact opposite of the way they're here. Interesting, we see even how the church turns up things side, down here. But culture says this, if you read verses 16 through 18, it would read something like this. Gripe always, complain without ceasing, and in all things be anxious, for this is the will of the world. Interesting how, I don't know about you, but I find that to be the, more, the stronger pull of my heart sometimes. And yet, the word before us says rejoice always, pray unceasing, and give thanks. This is how we turn the world upside down. We live in a way that honors the Lord, but contrary to how God, or not, excuse me, contrary to the world, but in line with how God is working in it. Then we move on here and we see how we listen and obey our Lord. Here's how we should look. Now we turn in and we look to the inside. And we want to gain some encouragement now for what does this look like on the inside. And verse 19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. In the space where scripture speaks to our ability to suppress or put to work uh, or put out the work of the Holy Spirit, we find consistent but troubling message that I believe quickly lean into our heart. There's two words that show up. Here we have the word quench in 1 Thessalonians that means to put out or to extinguish like a fire. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, we find the word grieve. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which means to suppress or to cause to mourn. And you may ask, well, what does it mean? What does it look like uh, to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, let's first understand a little bit more. What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the presence of God that comes and lives within the souls of those that have received salvation. He is the third person of God and therefore is a divine person can have an emotion which can be quenched. So therefore the word grieve, pointing to the suppression, we find in Ephesians 4 uh, some verses that give us what it looks like to quench the spirit or to grieve the spirit. All right, encourage you to read those. Let me just summarize for a sake of time here. To grieve the spirit is to act out in a sinful manner, whether it is in thought only or in both thought and deed. And here's what it is. It is the rebellion of our own hearts to run to sin. You want to grieve the work of the Spirit? You take those things that you go when you feel the nugging, tagging of your heart right there that, that is going, this is sin, avoid. And your conscience is at work. The lump in your chest is there all of a sudden and you're going, I know this is wrong. And somehow you find a way, what is, how do we work with sin? Typically we end up justifying it or going, ah, it's not that bad. Or we just kind of slow fade in. If you've ever dealt with sin struggles, which I'm betting we all have, what happens to that fade? In the beginning, the voice of the Lord is sharp and be quick 
draw us to conviction. But over time, as we grieve the Spirit, what, what, what tends to happen? That voice becomes quiet. Eventually, it goes silent. And the Lord says, okay, I'll leave you to your sin now. And so Paul says, don't quench the work of the Spirit. In other words, make your soul, make yourself be sensitive. Hear where God is at work and be listening for that. You want to know what this looks like to not be quenching the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 give us the alternative of what it looks like, what the fruits of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. How you know you're listening to the voice of the Lord? You'll see the attributes of the Lord coming alive. And so we're going to cover the next few verses very quickly here, but they are not of lesser importance as they define how we listen and obey our Lord. And he says, next, don't despise prophecies. Another... We often think of prophecy as, you know, a spoken revelation of something that's to come in the future. Or someone speaking over and saying, hey, I'm prophesying that this will take place. And that's very true. Another way that prophecy is used, though, it also refers to the written words of Scripture, okay, or the Bible. And it also speaks, or the gift of even prophecy speaks to presenters, teachers, pastors, preachers. And we, we know that there were some within the Thessalonian church that engaged in prophetic speech of the future. But Paul dealt this dealt with this also in the church at Corinth, where we find some instruction for this. And the main focus of prophecy being to strengthen, encourage, and comfort God's people. This is to be the same focus of the teaching and preaching of the word. That God's messages are delivered to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. The Bible does speak to our future, but you will notice that its focus and detail is around the gospel and the clear details of the future are left with the Lord. Paul desired that the Thessalonians not despise prophecy, but they would follow it up with God, hearing God's message in verse 21. And here's where I want to just tune our attention right here. Is Number one, he says, to test everything. And specifically, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking when there are pastors, preachers, teachers, a word being spoken, that you would test everything. That... You know, that your mind would not be seduced by the cultural influences that are there. And that you would not let your guard down. Because what happens, the culture would say, hey, listen, if this feels good, that's right. There, there would be an emotional attachment that would come with that. That, that was the draw of even of the Thessalonica times. In the 1970s, a British pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones noted how the church was drifting in its spiritual discernment. He said, reason is being distrusted and set on one side. And so turning against intellectualism and deliberately espousing the creed of irrationality, they yield themselves to the desire for experience and place sensation above understanding. Here's a word of caution. Be cautious not to surrender our emotions to facts that we have not tested before the word of God. And that means specifically in the platform of where we subscribe to for our biblical teaching. Test everything that you hear that's proclaimed from the word of God for its truth, for its relevance, to, for its character. Don't just give it a pass and go, well, I heard a preacher say, and then call it truth. No, have a testing method behind that. Let me give you four things. I've, I've got to say these fast. 
but I want to give you four ways, uh, just questions you can ask to, to test, to be testing of messages that would come. Number one, does the message line up with Scripture? Can Scripture testify and confirm what is being said? Number two, does the message line up with the character of God? From what we know from Scripture of the character of God, what we've experienced as believers, is what is being taught, presented, said, does it line up with the character of God? Number three, does it the message glorify God? Is God glorified in what is being said? Is it for God's fame and glory? Number four, does it edify the body of Christ and not the individual? Purpose, purpose even of standing in this place today is not my own edification, but it's for the edification of you, the saints. Purpose of the proclamation of Scripture ultimately glorify God, but it is to edify and draw the people of God to the glory of God. And so he says with that, test everything and then do two things with it. Number one, hold on to the good. As a culture, I want to say real quick, we, we've been very dangerous here, very dangerous with this, because we're living in a culture that says, if I don't agree with something you say, then all of you is wrong and needs to be gone. There's this cancel mentality, okay? And though this message right here, this word of hold on to the good is speaking to the church, I believe it should speak to us even where we sit in our culture, and that is this, that as believers, we need to rightly divide the words of truth. And we need to be careful handlers of that. Because to subscribe to something that would say, I hear the good and what, or I don't agree with what you're saying. So all of you is bad. Folks, that's a, that's a spiritual danger ground right there. We, we should not tamper with. I believe what scripture is teaching us though is, listen for what is good. And then do what the second point says. Abstain, avoid every part of what is evil. You ever ask the question, how do I live in this world but not of it? How, how do I be in a culture but, but not follow the culture? Students, you're struggling going, man, I'm, I'm trying to be a believer, but I can't look. This culture war, here's how it is. You listen for the what is right and where you can exhort and encourage and be a light for the gospel. But then on the other side, you even more so, you be sensitive to that which is evil, and you go to that I will not go to. I will abstain. Paul's saying, test the words that come forward, even from the preachers and presenters. Find the message that is good. Avoid what's evil. In the church, they were dealing with false prophets or false messengers that were giving false gospel. I would say our culture, we also have some false teachers. May your ears be attuned to hear that which is true. And then we move on, though. And as a church, let me just say, we need to, should be marked by our ability to listen to others while holding the good and staying away from evil. We've got to support each other in this because you and I, we're, we're going to struggle right there. We're either going to love too far and accept too much, and then our lives don't look any different than the culture, or we're going to reject so hard we look, we're absolutely judgmental and the light of Christ doesn't display through our actions. There has to be a balance. One of the ways to best do that be involved in a small group of people and help let them pray with you through that. And then you'll hear those dialogues that hopefully you sharpen and try to fix. Other ways, stay in the word. So all these things uh, we're coming at here, we're, 
talk about how we should look, how we listen and obey, and then number three, how we are empowered to live. How, what's the power that's going to get us through all this? Verses 23 and 24 uh, give us that. And it, just listen to the word one more time. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace. This is specifically addressing Jesus making peace on behalf of us on the cross. If you haven't heard it before, we are a sinful people full of sin. We were born with a sin nature, and the only payment for that sin is death. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, took on that whole weight of sin, died and sacrificed himself on the cross, paying our debt of sin. In that crucifixion, in that death, he extinguished the wrath of God on our behalf, Christian. That's where God made peace. He made peace through his son. And so in that, we are sanctified completely, the scripture says. Here's what the word is. That's a a new word for you or something. Sanctify means this. It means to separate from sin to holiness in becoming like Christ. It means to be set apart. Part of sanctification is our continual work of conforming our life to becoming more like Christ. Thus, listen and obey. The second part, though, is the work that God works through us through his Holy Spirit. We would be grossly mistaken to think we are able to provide the power to live out this holy life that is before us. In fact, it's our, only through the leading of the Holy Spirit and our willingness to follow him that we are sanctified. That this process of becoming more like Christ is found in its completion the day we come before the Lord. Oh, my friend, if you find yourself today going, I, I see this. And I'm listening, and okay, I got my checklist, but this is too much. Then I beg of you to listen right now and recognize it's not supposed to happen through your power. It's designed to happen through God working within you. We were not made to live like this. That's why Jesus came. That's why he said, I will now give you my Holy Spirit that would rise up and live within us. And he says, don't quench that. No, but feed it. That's where the power to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, the ability to discern right messages and truth. It's the power of the Holy Spirit as we grow in Him. And yet the wondrous of this is sanctification, it's a process we'll always live in until, oh, and this should stir hope like none other in you today, until the coming of our Lord. We'll not only be completely sanctified, but we'll be purified and holy the Lord, without sin, without blemish. So how does all this, what's the next thing? How do we finish this? And Paul just kind of concludes. It's like if the list wasn't just going fast enough, he, he now throws three more right behind it. In essence, to say, take care of each other. And number four, how we support each other. It's all a lot to take in. But if we're going to turn the world upside down, we've got to support each other. God built the church that we wouldn't be an island, but that we would be a people that is surrounded by others in the body. And the best way we can do that is in biblical community. I've said it several times, but can I just exhort those of you that aren't maybe consider today being part of a small group. Coming to church is our first gathering place. It's where we lift up our glory and our praise to God. This is all about giving to the Lord, and it's fellowship together, recharge our energy. But when we come together, we are dialoguing and discussing around the word of God. 
we need to sharpen ourselves. We need to be encouraging. And for those of you that do this and, and you make this a point of priority, can I just say thank you so much. I even, let me go beyond that to say even those of you that made a sacrifice to show up this morning on a, what could easily be a Thanksgiving weekend to just go, I'll check out and catch you online. You know, that you sacrifice and go, no, I need to be in God's house with God's people. Thank you. And let, let me just exhort us to continually do that. Let me exhort you just to even consider how you prioritize gathering with God's people. That may the challenge be that we would not elevate our kids, our vacation, even our jobs, if at all possible, anything above the prioritization of glorifying the Lord and gathering with his people. And there are times in our lives that, man, in seasons that we know we're going through, and yeah, gathering at home or being safe, please, that's why God gave us these tools. But where and if all possible, please consider gathering with God's people. I need to see you each Sunday because I need to be encouraged. And hopefully you need to see me too. Hopefully I encourage you. I don't know. But within that, three ways, though, Paul gives us to support each other. Number one, pray for each other. Pray for each other. We can't do this alone. Don't, don't mistake in how much it means for you to simply tell someone I'm praying for you, to walk by someone and go, man, I don't know what's going on in their life, but right now, God, would you meet and work in them? Pray for each other. Another way is to show godly hospitality. Verse 26 says to greet one another with a holy kiss. This is a non-romantic type of kiss that was given as a greeting in this culture that is just people saying, I'm glad to see you here. It was a, a greeting. And, and can I just encourage, as most of you are, I say most, probably all of you, but it's encouraging just to be greeted at church. Greet each other with a smile. This should be a place where you don't walk in going, oh, I don't know, I'm a little concerned. No, this should be a place that you're glad to see each other. You're glad to come in because we need each other, but we, we need what God gives us. Be encouraged, though, church family. You're known by many to be a friendly people. We, we hear from guests that come and say, man, we are really encouraged by the friendliness of your people. Be encouraged in that. But may God also continue to grow us in hospitality as this is an evidence of Christ being at work within us. And the last one he gives us is to read the word. Read the word together. He says, brothers, read this letter to all of us. And he says, the Bible, though, is, here's what I want to say. The Bible needs to be read out loud. Read the word together. This is, again, what we do in small groups. This, again, is that we would read the word together. We've got places that we talk life, talk shop, talk work, talk entertainment. Man, our text messages are flying everywhere. Like, we're the most connected people ever. The places that I want to encourage our hearts, though, is we need to be in places that exhort biblical dialogue to be discussing God's word. Our hearts need it. Our minds need it. We need to be reminded. And so whether we realize it or not, our world needs us. This area needs West Cabarrus Church. Now, they may not know that. They may have, people may have never heard of us. But here's what we're sitting on, and God, help us to live, live this out. Is we're, as a believer and a believing people, we are sitting on the greatest hope this world needs to know. And it needs to be the outflow of us as a people 
that the glory of God is on display and it shows up by rejoicing on, praying without ceasing, giving thanks to recognizing this world is not our home. And if you're a saved sinner in this place today, it may be that you hear this and the challenge is, man, God, would you set my heart to know you, to love you, to trust you. Maybe you need to engage a small group. I'd love to speak to you out at our next steps table out in the welcome center after service and just help you get plugged in and and talk you through what that could look like. Maybe it means becoming part of this church and joining in partnership. Whatever that next step is, but as as a saved sinner, look at what that is. Take that next step. If you're an unsaved sinner in the room, hopefully the word has pricked your heart in such a way that you go, Yeah, I've got all the anxiety and all the griping and all the complaining down. I'm searching. I've been living my life looking for this contentment and this peace. I want to ask you to consider Christ today. If the greatest need of your heart is not a group, it's not a church, the greatest need of your heart is for King Jesus to come and take up residence and to save you from your sin. I'd love to share more of that with you afterwards as well in that that welcome center lobby. But I can tell you, if you leave this place or this time, one of the ways you can do that is just stop and to recognize Jesus is Lord and to say, Father, forgive me of my sin. I confess that I am lost in my sin. And I've been trying to live this my own way. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And I ask you to come into my life and to change me. I'll repent of that, to turn away and to confess that I'm lost. I pray you would do that. Whatever the takeaway that we have today, I pray that we would be a church, though, that is living on mission. That we, as the body, we would prioritize the body of Christ in such a way that wherever we go, wherever we walk, wherever we live, it may be obvious we're a people that belong to God. Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it encourages our hearts, how it convicts. And yet, Father, we also recognize that, Father, we are in great need of you. Lord, we long to, we long to display your glory and to be like you. Yet, Father, that is hard. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would speak to those that are discouraged or struggling. That, Father, today for those that struggle to be joyful, you would give them the purpose and the reason to be filled with joy. You'd give us hearts to pray. I pray for the one that is lost, whether they're here or they're watching online. God, I would ask that today you would speak directly to their heart. May they hear your word of conviction even now that that is calling to them, Father. Would they come to the place of repentance and turning? Oh, Lord Jesus, we grow weary of this place. We need you, God. Would you encourage us? Would you give us that which we lack? We're living for your glory, God. We pray, Father, I ask you would make us, West Tavares Church, a people, Father, that displays the gospel. Where we're lacking, give us strength. But now, oh God, would you turn our hearts to praise you. And even now as we sing, in Jesus' name, amen. Church family, I pray that you would.
Stand with me now and let's sing as we praise the name of our great God.